0: Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things Sega, with your hosts George and Barry. And welcome to Sega Talk. I'm Barry with me is George. Hello, everybody, and this is our 11th episode. And before we get into it, I just want to uh, welcome you if you are a new listener or if you are a returning listener. Um, and I should mention at the top of the show, you can find our show on YouTube, on iTunes, RSS. If you like it, subscribe, give us a positive rating. You know, it, it means something to us. We notice those things, we like it. Um, so let's dive right into it. So this episode we are covering a big game for Sega, Space Harrier. This will be the third AM2 game that we're covering on this show. The first one was Outrun, followed by Daytona USA, and this is I'd, I'd say, George, would you would you kind of do you think of it like as a trilogy when you when you're thinking of Hang On, Outrun, and Space Harrier? I always do.
1: I, I feel like this game kind of stood apart from those games but I agree with you it felt I mean they use the same technology what they learned in one game moved on to the next one and they cranked these babies out so fast it's actually kind of insane if you look at the timeline of it yeah. this game came out the same time as the same year as H- hang on yeah so it's like oh like they're just popping these games out like crazy and this game I feel is different from hang on like oh And the way it looks and plays and everything else,
0: you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And we'll get into that. Uh, I'll get into the facts here. Space Harrier, it came out in arcades on December 1985 and was developed by the team that would become Sega AM2. So, you know, you're not going to see that AM2 logo at the beginning. In fact, I think they even... Yeah, they they weren't called AM2, of course, at this time. And they even had to hide their credits in some of their games. I know OutRun has uh, Yu Suzuki's name hidden in there if you if you if you drive a certain way, but um, this is back in the day when developers weren't given identities. It was very strange. Do you know
1: why they did that? It's because uh, Japanese developers didn't, or publishers didn't want their talent to be taken away by other companies, and so they go uncredited. Kind of like a unmarked grave, right? Like, oh, we made this great piece of art, now nobody knows that we did it. Even though, I, know. I feel like they kind of broke away from that, Later on, you know, when they started doing interviews and like Yuzuzuki became a huge name in Japan and a huge yeah. developer. But it's funny though, because I was, uh, I, when I was doing research for this podcast, I was reading a 1988 interview and Yuzuzuki and I forgot who the other guy was. They're inter- introducing themselves and he's like introducing himself like nobody's ever heard of him because I mean, <laughs> this is 19, what, like 88. So he had a few hits under his name, but yeah. he wasn't the huge name that he became when Virtual Fighter became a you know, an art, like resurrected the arcades and stuff. But it's I know, that's so funny. So it's like just watching him be really humble about it. And now everybody you say Yuzuki and everybody has like ten different games they love from him, and it's like affected their childhood <laughs> in a positive way. You know, he's
0: he's such a down to earth guy. I wonder if there was ever a moment where he's like, like a coming out sort of thing where he's like, <gasps> I can tell people I worked on it, or if he was just kind of like. I'm happy to not be known, you know. <laughs>
1: and it was also like the game industry back then was so different, and uh, it was like nobody even knew if it was going to be around for that long, considering the crash that happened prior to this. True. It was like True. what two years that happened before this. Yeah. It's it's even crazy that Sega would even invest so much money. I mean, they invested more money in the arcade side businesses, and like we're testing the waters. It felt like during this time with consoles, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. For but, sure. Yeah. But uh, diving back into this, then um, let's let's kick things off with talking about our personal histories with Space Harrier. So, the question I'm going to pose is: uh, When did you first play it, and what were your thoughts on it?
1: Ah, I'm, I'm trying to remember which version of the game I played. I'm, I want to say the 32X version, but knowing me, it's probably like the Master System version or something. I know it wasn't the arcade version that I played first, sadly, and I think. I think that's kind of bad because I feel like uh, Space Harrier is just one of those games that is best experienced in the arcades with the with the hardware that they wanted you to play it with. Uh-huh. So I feel like if you play it on the console, it just, I don't know, to me it just doesn't feel the same. I don't know about you if you agree with me on this, but I oh. think, I can't remember which one I first played. I just remember it wasn't the best fucking version of it, and when I played the arcade version, I was blown away by it. So, I mean, you could tell me about your history with it.
0: Yeah, you know, when when we do these shows and we talk about these really old games, I always have this, like, almost constructed memory in my head where I'm at the arcade and I'm discovering, you know, something like OutRun or Space Harrier. That never happened, though, unfortunately. You know, these these games were very... I feel like they were very hard to come by if you were a kid growing up in the early 90s. You know, like, arcade games, they would swap them out pretty quickly. I, I can't... Ever remember finding like a Space Harrier at an arcade as a kid in the back or something? Um, it was really you know Mortal Kombat, uh, a lot of the 3D Sega games. If I did see any 2D Sega games, it would I don't know maybe be Outrun, but gosh, um, I don't I don't know the first time I played Space Harrier. I've but I mean I will say to the game's credit, when you play it, you forget your first time sometimes because it just it feels like such a Classic game, and it's such a simple gameplay style that I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to gauge, but um, I'm gonna say Shenmue. I think maybe that was the first time I played the true arcade version of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, Shenmue. I think introduces game to a lot of people. I, and that was also the game that I felt pushed uses Zuki as a brand name in uh-huh. Sega because I remember. When you bought that, I mean, this is in the Shin podcast, but when you bought that game, it had his signature in the back of the booklet. I I recall that. And then I recall, like, being obsessed with his work, you know, or after that, like, even obscure games that uh, don't get that much attention or were just Sega AM2 games. I feel like his team did so much that even he's credited for some stuff that he had little to do with. But, I mean, Space Harrier was actually one of his games that he designed and it's it's very interesting, like you said. Uh, are you surprised this game came out in 1985 for what the game is actually is?
0: I am because you know you'll you'll play games from 1985 and they look nothing like this, nothing like this. And I mean, of course, you're comparing home consoles, maybe, but even I, I feel like even Atari games of this era didn't look anything like this.
1: Exactly, and this is kind of like when they first started bringing the. I mean, when they you know when the whole phrase is. uh people go to the arcades to experience something they can't experience at home. Mm -hmm. I feel like this game is sort of embodiment of that, you know what I mean, of that era where arcades meant something, you go to the arcades, like, you could come home, you could play Nintendo. I mean, in 85, you probably, I don't know if it came out in the US, I think it barely did. Mm -hmm. So you could go home, you could play Nintendo, but Nintendo game isn't going to look like Space Area.
0: No, and I mean, you even look at some of the Nintendo's arcade games, like Donkey Kong was 1981, and four years later, or less, you have Space Harrier, and these are in the arcade next to each other. Yeah. Um, That's not to say that Donkey Kong's a bad game, but it's just technically, this game's amazing. And I guess going back to what I was saying, I was having a hard time articulating it, but it was just... The, the gameplay of this game, and I think this kind of takes us into our next question, if if we think the game has uh, aged well or poorly. I feel like it's aged incredibly well because, like I was saying, when I play this game I don't think, oh god, 1985. Or I don't think, you know, even when you come in as a newcomer, you get the idea of the game. It's very easy to pick up and play.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of introduction. Like, they don't need to have a tutorial telling you this is how you shoot and this is how you move. You just get in it. I think this is a lot easier for the mainstream consumer compared to something like Afterburner. I think Afterburner is very intimidating, mm-hmm. uh, very crushing. Mm-hmm. I think it's like you have to keep on moving. It's uh, frantic. I think this is a. I think this is hard, but it's not as hard. And I think the visuals and uh, the the surreal graphics are more uh-huh. uh, mainstream friendly. It, it's very different than anything else that was in the arcades at the time that I could think of i can only think of a few games and i think one of them was a sega game and that was like 82 or something that came out Mm. that was like kind of like you know psychedelic looking and i I feel like that a lot you know and uh, yuzuzuki actually never talks about this but i always feel like some of the old arcade games before the japanese side took over and the american side was doing it Mm -hmm. kind of feel like they're influenced a little bit with each other but he's never said it so i'm not gonna But um, as it aged, though, I feel like uh, yeah, it's aged well. My only, I guess, concern or problem with it, I felt like the levels were kind of the samey.
0: Yeah,
1: they all have the checkered pattern, and then it's eighteen of them, right? And it feels like there's a lot of, I don't know, repeating stuff going on. But I think that's kind of you know part of the era with limited uh, memory and all that kind of stuff. I felt like Outrun did kind of like learn from that lesson, the team, and they like Outrun. I feel like every Time you change a scenery, it's a very different scenery compared to a space harrier.
0: Oh, for sure. And uh, going back to when I was talking about a trilogy, it's really a quadrilogy because I did leave out afterburner. I always look at you know like um, hang on and outrun are the ground games for the super scalar games, and then outrun and, or afterburner and space harrier are the the aerial ones. And I, as much as I like Hang-On, I feel like that game has not aged well. I always go for Outrun. However, you know, you look at this compared to Afterburner, technically Afterburner looks a lot better. It's a little bit deeper gameplay-wise. Little, yeah, I mean, it's in, it's a newer game compar- by comparison by about a year. But I think Space Harrier is the better game out of the two. I still go towards that one and play that.
1: Is there a reason why? Is it just because you're more into rail shooters? Or...
0: I like the imagination on on display in Space Harrier. I like the fantasy setting. And I know you mentioned that the, the environments weren't that different, but I felt like it made up for it with the villains and the enemies. Cause they just, and even like the little thing like shrubs and trees, they changed to pillars and there were, what were they called, like Bin's Beans or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I wasn't trying to knock the game down for that. I'm just saying oh, no. it's one of the things that people will probably notice nowadays Compared mm-hmm. to, especially, like, you could tell that there's an evolution in each game. And that's just one For of sure. the things with this one.
0: For sure. Uh, so, moving on here, we have uh, a little quote from Yu Suzuki. So, the concept of the game was originally a realistic third person um, game where you controlled a fighter jet. And Yu Suzuki talked about how Space Harrier came to be in an interview with the Shenmue Dojo blog. So here's my best Yu Suzuki impression, which will sound exactly like me. (laughs) At first we wanted to make a game where a jet could fly and shoot, but then we realized that it's going to be difficult to draw in all projections, and it will take a lot of free space in the memory of an arcade machine. Drawing a human is much easier, and it's not necessary to make him fully realistic, and it doesn't require much free space. Also, back then, I liked the manga Space Cobra, a movie called Neverending Story, and works by the artist Roger Dean, based on which Cameron created his Avatar world. Oh, that's interesting. He didn't say that, I just did. From (laughs) all three of these sources, I got my inspiration when I worked on Space Harrier.
1: And uh, And that's great. Yeah, go on.
0: I don't like, I mean Avatar, I saw it once, it's fine, I'm not too jazzed about the sequels,
1: I never made
0: that connection, and now that I look at Avatar, I'm like, it does look a little space harrier. Like the worlds.
1: Uh, the, there's sequels to Avatar?
0: There's going to be, oh, once okay. they get around to it.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't but... seen Avatar, even though it was like hyped beyond belief when it came out. But, uh...
0: <laughs> space Cobra though, you, you brought this up before the recording, and I'm looking at a picture of this. This is basically Space Harrier.
1: Yeah, the character, right? The main character. Yeah. Yeah, it, he has the me, the machine gun arm, he has the red uh, spandex, and if you read the manga or see pictures of it, there's a big focus on the character's ass. Like, tight jeans, and it's like <laughs> the same thing as Space Harrier, like, I don't want to be like it's homo, like, you know, homosexual or anything, but let's be honest, that game did have an emphasis on the characters behind, right? Even in the art. That's
0: true. That's S- true. And I mean, you know, they sexualized it a little bit, I... Uh- I don't think you know boys. Boys or men who are sitting down are going to be like, "Oh, check out that butt." You know what? What's what are these feelings I'm feeling? But you know, I think, I think they put it there. Maybe I don't know. I think it I was
1: a, a little homage <laughs> to the manga, but it's like, um, I mean, these damn Japanese developers always sexualizing men. It's really we can be sick deep down. You know, God, we could be we could be main characters, and we don't have to be sexualized, right? Us men, you know, we work hard. Exactly. Enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, exactly. Uh, what are your thoughts on the concepts that came, you know, they came to be Space Harrier? Uh, would you rather have a realistic jet fighter game like originally intended? Yeah. Why didn't
0: Sega ever make a realistic jet fighter game? Oh wait, yeah, they yeah. did with Afterburner. Yes, um, of course
1: they <laughs> did. After um, this, but yeah.
0: No, I'm 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 very happy with the way it turned out. Um, by though, looking at these things, I can definitely see the influence. But at the time, you know, when I first saw Space Harrier, which I, yeah, probably was Shenmue, where I really got a, a real taste of it, and seeing all the multiple levels. It was bizarre, cause it was like kind of space aliens, but then there were a lot of um, like rock formations and like carved stone heads. It was very bizarre
1: and actually very there's, weird. There's a funny story about that carved head thing. Um, apparently, the guy that made the f- original pitch for the jet fighter game did a 100-page uh, pitch to Sega. When uh, Yuzuzuki saw it, he uh, looked at it and he was like, well, we can't do this with the technology. So they changed it to Space Harrier, and they kept Harrier, even though that was, I think it was supposed to be the ship that you uh, flew. So they kept Harrier in the name. And uh, he said that uh, the rock formations was actually based on the guy that did the pitch because he had a big head. So they, they put him in the game as a rock formation. That's pretty funny, I think. Oh, that's really funny. I never knew that. So, yeah, wow. that's a little story I saw when I was uh, doing research for this. But uh, what is your opinion on all the influenced works of Space Area? Like you said, you see some of it. Uh, never Ending Story is one of them that's, like, really obvious. Oh, God.
0: Yeah, that's such a ripoff. <laughs> the The special stage, you jump on this giant, long, like, snake-like uh, white dog thing, which is straight out of Never Ending Story. But... What I find so funny in Space Harrier is your goal is to smash all the trees.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, it's uh, it's pretty interesting that, like, they took... You could tell, like, even if you see, if you guys Google Ro- uh, Roger Dean, his artwork, a lot of it does... You could tell right away that they were influenced by it. Kind of even reminds me a little uh, Panzer Dragoonish, in a way. Yeah. So, and a Space Cobra, if you guys look at that manga or anime, I think they made an anime of it. Yeah, it's definitely influenced this game, especially with the creation of the main character.
0: Now, uh, speaking of influences, and I I this is kind of a joke, but um, with the special stage, isn't the music it kinda goes ding ding and ding and ding ding and ding and ding, 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 ding like that, kinda like that? Yeah, something like that. It doesn't it sound like the Game of Thrones song?
1: A little, yeah, a little bit, but I don't get Because <laughs> it <'cause>,
0: goes <laughs> uh... I've actually I've overlaid them one time just to see if I could make like a funny video for our Twitter account and it didn't quite work but it was still pretty funny because for like maybe five seconds it sounded exactly the same.
1: And did you know. uh, and, and did you? Uh, like, do you think that Sega went into the future and copied the song?
0: Yeah I do. I do think that they do that.
1: <laughs> I fucking knew it. Yeah I mean
0: you've heard the recent news of Sega of Japan buying new offices. That's because they're building a super collider so that they can just destroy the universe and travel to the, you know, 31st century or something like that. Anyway. And, um.
1: and before we moved on, you know, I talked about how I think that um, that Space Harrier is kind of influenced by older Sega games. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel, I know people are going to give me shit for this on the in the comments, but I always felt like Buck Rogers' Planet of Doom was like kind of a pre- precursor to this. Because, I mean, nobody's ever heard of that game. It's 1982, and I feel like it's kind of like Turbo. Like, they did a concept. It didn't work out because it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was rushed. And then AM2 later came back and said, hey, check this out. This is how you do it for reals. And then it's a huge hit. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and I've played Buck Rogers. They have it at Galloping Ghost. It does play like a mix between Space Harrier and uh, Zaxxon.
1: Yeah, and it also has a a deluxe cabinet. I don't know if they had it over there, but I know there is one that's more uh, seated.
0: And I feel bad for Buck Rogers, because, I mean, Sega attempts a Buck Rogers video game. It doesn't really become that, you know, well-known as the years go on. And then they just kind of remix it and make Space Harrier. And then you look at George Lucas. He was going to make a Buck Rogers movie. He couldn't afford the rights, so he made Star Wars. So Buck Rogers, people keep going, Oh, I'd really like to make a Buck Rogers thing, it doesn't go over well, and then they make something much more popular, yeah. just kind of ripping riffing on it. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> I know, but Yuzuzuki never said that it was an influence, but I feel like it could have been. I mean, it's very...
0: Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when we're talking about it like this, it's more from the technical end. I mean, obviously they learn things internally at Sega when making Buck Rogers that likely contributed to the you know technical gameplay aspects of Space Harrier but I don't think Yu Suzuki was like let's let's rip this off so no, before I anyone don't, I don't gets upset so with me um, so like many Sega AM2 arcade titles released during this era the arcade had three different arcade cabinets the upright cabinet the sit down version with a fixed seat and the deluxe cockpit style rolling cabinet and I'm going to ask, have you played it in the arcades, and what cabinet version have you experienced? And which one's your favorite?
1: Uh, the fixed one? I've never played it in the the one that moves around. I wish I have. Uh, hmm. And the stand-up one. I think the stand-up one, I found it in this like weird bar in the back. It was like not turned on for a long time, so I had to turn it on and play it. <laughs> I, um, but, uh, yeah, I would say... Obviously, the one you sit down is the best because I mean, standing there and playing the game, not that mm-hmm. cool. I mean, you always want to sit down, right? When you're playing an arcade game for a while.
0: True. It is kind of funny, though, when you think of the other AM2 arcade games, they all make sense sitting down. Space Harrier makes sense standing up because he's he's not sitting
1: it's the yeah i know but it just thinks i'm lazy you know so i, I like... know i'm just i'm just
0: saying like i feel like with with these arcade cabinets they always try to replicate it like with hang on you're uh, you're literally you know dipping from side to side on or a motorcycle with, um, yeah or a thunderblade you're like moving the cabinet around but with this one when you look at the space harrier machine you're sitting down and and there's like jets behind you and it's like what is that he doesn't sit in anything with, like, little jets on his back, really. <laughs> but um,
1: Yeah, exactly. But uh, what but, about you? You didn't tell me about your arcade experience.
0: Uh, again, Galloping Ghost Arcade. I've This is the first place I've played this. Uh, they had the sit-down version, and it was working. I played it. I've gone back there a few times and played it, and since then it hasn't been working. I don't know if they fixed it since then. Um, is that a problem? But, you know, that's,
1: is that a, kind of like a problem with old arcade games? They break down every whatever months.
0: Yeah, and I mean at Galloping Ghost they have, jeez, I don't know how many games, maybe 600. They, they claim they're going to have close to a thousand at some point. I don't really know what their exact number is. So you can imagine that a lot of games break and a lot of games come back online. So. You know, it's it might just be the fact that they have only so many people fixing things. Um, but I mean, when when you go there, a lot of the stuff's working. It's not. Uh, it's not like you go in, and you go, oh, everything's broken. It's maybe like ten machines out of hundreds are, you know, not functioning at the at that moment. But um, I would love to play it in the deluxe cabinet. That would be really cool.
1: And it's also funny because like you never find these games uh, on sale. I don't know how much they sold. I know Space Harrier was a huge success for Sega, but how many working arcade cabinets of the deluxe version do you think are still out there in circulation, or even out there to be found? Like if we go on Craigslist, or we literally want it to, like as people, like I'm gonna try to hunt it down. Do you think it'd be easy or a little hard?
0: I think it would be very difficult for the deluxe one, especially in America. I think what AM2 had going for them with games like Afterburner, OutRun, Hang On, is that they very much appealed to Western audiences. Space Harrier, though, I would say is kind of an exception. I mean, it it does kind of play up the fantasy elements that were popular with Atari games at the time but I just, I can't see a lot of arcade owners splashing the cash out for the deluxe one in America because OutRun makes sense. You're like, man, driving games, those are obviously popular, but this one it's like I'm dropping hundreds or I don't know how much it costs, you know, like maybe thousands. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a gamble. I feel like the deluxe one would have been a gamble for a lot of arcade owners. So I think a lot of them are probably in Japan, specifically in the, uh, what is it, the Yukosuka area or wherever yeah. where Ryo Hazuki lives.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. And then I was going to say, like, it's also that these things are huge. I mean, it, I, I put some pictures on here, but look at the base of this arcade. It's huge. It has moving parts. It just seems like a big hassle to fix, have operating, I'm assuming... It was one of those games that after the popularity waned they took it out and then they put another Mm -hmm. game in that was newer it just seems to be kind of like what they do right
0: oh for sure and yeah that's very true a lot of moving parts i mean galaxy force 2 again galloping ghost had it and it breaks down quite a bit though i think it was working last time i was there i didn't get a chance to play it um because i was not a paying customer i was just like driving by peeking in the window oh. but um, whereas other games like hang on the deluxe cabinet you're you're the one physically tilting it so there's less mechanical parts there and same goes for uh, Thunderblade because that one it's more like have you ever um, been at a playground and they have those things with the two handles and it's like a, a bulldozer thing you sit down and you put one hand forward and one hand back and then switch and it like scoops
1: no you know I'm I've, I don't, I've never seen it no
0: well, it's all it's all in your arms so you can you can move it about so anyway uh, that's kind of how Thunderblade plays where when you it's almost like a, an exercise machine or something where when you swivel to one side you move the game and the machine but it's it's all you it's not like the the machines tilting you around or anything like that okay. so I've, anyway <laughs> I've never played one long tangent short uh, <laughs> I think um, those sort of games, have a better chance of existing in 2017 than something like a deluxe. Uh, Hydraulic hang on, driven. Or Outrun, yeah. yeah, or Space Harrier with the hydraulics. Um, gameplay wise, Space Harrier was a fast paced rail shooter that played in the third person perspective. Lots of people consider the game to be one of the first third person shooters created. The game throws the players in a surreal world filled with checkerboard style backgrounds and strange colors. The players control a character simply known as Harrier as you navigate the game's 18 levels, 15 of which have bosses. The game also features bonus stages on the 5th and 12th levels, which lets you ride a massive white cat-like dragon, which as we mentioned was like a never-ending story. Exactly. Um, So, Space Harrier's arcade release also used an analog flight stick, which was one of the first games to do so. And so leading into our next questions, how do you think Spar- Space Harrier holds up to other rail shooters? And I guess we're talking both at the time and maybe even
1: in the future, moving
0: forward. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think uh, it's totally different. I, there was Okay, this game, you could move the stick around, right? You could move your character around in anywhere in the, in the screen. So it used up the whole screen. I feel like games like uh, Panzer Dragoon or uh, Star Fox, you were basically... St- you could only move basically up and down. You could move it, but it didn't really make make you do it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like mm-hmm. you had to move super fast back and forth, up and down. You know, and this one was just like it was so fast. You know, you had to be you have to have reflexes. I feel like uh, Panzer Dragoon and all those other games, it's less on reflexes and more on uh, that shooting aspect of it.
0: Right, right, and it it when you shot, you would shoot straight ahead, and so if there was someone coming at you in the upper left, you would have to physically move your entire character to the upper left and shoot at it yeah. before it hit you. So it's almost, I would say Space Harrier's more like a sh- a a first person, like a third person shoot up So instead of it being, you know, um, on the side shooting to the left and right, you're shooting from forward going straight ahead. Whereas with uh, Panzer Dragoon... As you mentioned, you know, that one, you're in the center of the screen most of the time, and you're moving the, what do they call it? Cruiser? Like retic- yeah. Reticule? Yeah, R- ret- there you go. I've always seen it in print. I've never said it. <laughs> I'm just going to call it a reticule. But um, the little little pointer moves around, but your dragon's not in the line of fire when you do that.
1: Yeah. it's uh, This one was more dependent on you moving. And I think this is actually kind of one of the things that carried on to Afterburner, where... Movement is 100% key. You got to go fast. You got to move fast. You got to get out. You got to dodge. you Got to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of like one of the. I think they were obviously influenced by what they did in this game, and they moved it forward to a jet fighter uh, game. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I think it did it. Re- I think it did it well, especially for the time period where nobody tried to do a game like this before. And uh, and obviously it influenced quite a bit of uh, games because we had rail shooter games after this on uh, multiple platforms
0: and do you think it holds up to modern rail shooters i mean there aren't that many anymore but maybe you know some of the later 3d ones such
1: well i mean so what have they changed after this i mean besides the fact that you don't have to move the character i think that's the only thing they kind of changed right i mean even res mm-hmm. which won awards not that long ago for its art style and because uh, it was released in vr mm-hmm. it still kind of plays not the same, I wouldn't say, obviously, but it has the same uh, fundamentals. Like, they just... Now you can stand in the center of the screen and move the the, the aiming. But that's about it, if you think about it. And it hmm. I mean, <laughs> what do you think of how this hold up with uh, modern-day rail shooters? Like the I mean, two. I think
0: it holds up incredibly well. And, I mean, you even see games that take inspiration from it. For example, we have the strike harbinger guys who will be having a—I uh, mean they won't be speaking later but i'm gonna be reading some words from them about the game and we have oh, what's that other one it was a kickstarter project um they're still making it
1: i don't think i i saw this one.
0: Oh, no we shared a, shared it on segavits um Dude, we share a lot
1: a, of stuff on segavits man <laughs> no i think
0: we only we only write about two things right
1: uh, Space Sonic Harrier? Sonic Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, no, it'll come to me, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, you'll have people who were inspired by the gameplay style, but they really, I mean, they'll, they'll add things, they'll bring it to, you know, modern day graphics, but really they, you can't do much to change it to the point where you're ruining the gameplay style, if anything.
1: And uh, yeah, in Strike Harbinger, still, I mean, that one lets you aim, right? Or do you move uh, behind the. you have to move the character to shoot?
0: You move. So it's like Space Harrier. And I really like that because I don't think you see that a lot from these sorts of games. I mean, like we were talking about with um, uh, Rez or Panzer Dragoon, you're, it's much safer and yeah. it's much slower moving. Whereas um, with Strike Harbinger, you move incredibly fast to the point where. They have some cool new things like you can, um, what's it, straving? Is that the right word? You can like, you can like uh, quickly get around obstacles instead of just hitting them, if you time your strikes correctly.
1: Um, that yeah, that makes sense. I was gonna say like I, I feel like you could always add little things like that to the gameplay that they created in Space Area. It's Just mm-hmm. surprising that like nobody's actually tried. I, Yuzuki was uh, when the was coming back before the Kickstarter for Shiny Three. They talked to him about ideas he had with Sega and stuff he pitched mm-hmm. to Sega. And uh, one of them, I know this is gonna get people really weird, but one of them was um, a mobile game of Space Area where you sit on an office a chair and you lean back and then you move, you use kind of like the sensors in the phone to move mm-hmm. the character around and dodge objects or something. And uh, huh. I don't think that would be something that fans would want. I just think Yuzuzuki's always thinking outside the box of what he could do with a mobile device. Because it's everywhere True. in Japan at this moment. It's kind of the future in Japan. And I know a lot of people want it to be in an arcade game if they ever bring it back, but I don't know. We could go on for about the levels and then we'll talk about the future of the franchise.
0: Oh, I just wanted to mention it. Xenosider. That's the game I was thinking
1: oh, of. Oh yes, the one for Dreamcast.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, interestingly, uh Xenosider is also what the uh, the creatures in the movie Aliens drink. It's their favorite apple drink. Mm. Xenocider. Xenomorph. Cider. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on the game having 18 levels? Do you think this was too long or just right?
1: I think this is actually... I, I mean, I have to look at the games, but isn't this the longest AM2 game at the time?
0: I think you're right, and... I'll attest, I've never completed the game in arcades. It's it's not an impossible game, but I think 18 is way too much for arcades.
1: Yeah, I would have told them to focus on like 10 or even 8 good levels. Uh, have more assets and uh, ideas for the world to uh, make them different from each other. Instead mm-hmm. of like, just like, oh, 18 levels, because I felt like, even like we said, a few of the levels didn't even have bosses. Well, it's kind of like, and there's an interview with Yuzuzuki and he says that all these games, these sprite-scaler games that we love, were all mm-hmm. incomplete. He even said like most of them were 60% incomplete. Oh gosh. So I mean, imagine the ideas they had for this game that never got done. And you know, sometimes I think those ideas are probably for, you know, were needed. I think for Outrun, we talked about it last time, where he wanted to have multiple playable characters and cars. Yeah. I don't think it was needed, really, to be a hit. I mean, the legacy... I love
0: you, Suzuki. I love him so much, because isn't that just like a visionary to release something that people love, they think it's amazing, and then he brushes it off and goes, it's like 60%. Yeah, that was 60% of my vision, dude. You see that with um, Walt Disney or George Lucas they'll be like people go, oh, I love Disneyland, oh, I love Star Wars and he's like, it's really not the movie I wanted to make or like yeah Disneyland's just like 80% what I wanted you it, know it, it, <laughs> yeah
1: and like and like we said like this game wasn't the game they wanted to make it, it was a game they made it for because of technical difficulties or it wasn't technically advanced enough at this mm-hmm. time to make the game they really wanted to make. And it kind of makes you think, like sometimes these technical limits bring out beautiful games, you know.
0: Yeah. On the subject of the 18 levels, I have to wonder, you know, at the time, uh, arcade mach- arcade games didn't have endings. You know, people were used to it looping. So I wonder how many people played maybe the first 13 levels, died, and then they're like, "Yeah, I got my I got my fill. I probably beat it. It was probably looping." Um, yeah. <laughs> because I-
1: Cause it's long. the game
0: has a big VN that flies at you which is something you I feel like you probably didn't see in games at that time it was very conclusive even outrun I mean yeah you you cross a finish line but this one V end that's pretty that's like you completed the final boss you're done
1: you think they should have just looped it from the beginning and then just made it harder every time no
0: I and I mean, We'll we'll get into this with the next question, but the Nintendo 3DS version, the 3D Space Harrier. Yeah, this is where I kind of go backtrack on my opinion on uh, the game being too long. I think it works perfectly for home. Like when you're playing it with uh, Shenmue, or if you're playing it, you know, if you're not at an arcade dropping a bunch of money into it, I think it's it's a great length because you know we've we've seen home versions of stuff like. Uh, I guess any real um, Sega arcade game and a lot of the times it's too short
1: yeah no I agree and uh, this one's 18 levels do work well at home but I mean sitting in an arcade you're like alright 13 levels in and you're fucking like dude it's hard <laughs> to play arcade games in public dude it's really hard because you have people talking yeah. to you sometimes You have uh, this is not the kind of game you could be babbling on about some sports or whatever and be half oh, drunk no, no oh, definitely no. not Um, the game also, like we said, it was the first game to have an analog stick. Did you notice a difference when you played in the arcade with an analog stick compared to playing it at home with like a D-pad on the Genesis or on the 32X?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I noticed a big difference. Um, I can't say that I did a better job at the arcade just because I was so used to the D-pad or the thumbstick but after a bit of you know, trial and error playing with it, I did find that the analog stick was much better. But I mean, kind of going back to where I was saying that sitting down at it feels weird. I also feel like a flight stick feels weird with the game just because when you look at the other AM2 arcade titles, um, Outrun, you're sitting in a car, you're holding a wheel in your hand, you're driving the car. Uh, hang on, you're on the motorcycle. Afterburner, you're flying with the flight stick. But this one, I guess this is kind of the, the odd duck out of those four games just because they, I feel like they didn't try to replicate what he was doing, but you really couldn't. I mean, you really have to have like the player holding a giant ice cream maker under their arm or something.
1: Yeah, and I think this is probably something that they could boot. Like if they ever did a reboot, VR would probably be a very... Viable option because they have the controls, mm-hmm. they have motion control, and they have uh, haptic feedback. So when you shoot, it feels like you're shooting a cannon out of your arm, you know, and yeah. you're immersed in this like psychedelic world of uh, weird rock formations and dragons and uh, ooh, checkered patterns. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what I was kind of building to in this because it's it feels like as much as I love Space Harrier, I feel like it was it was maybe held back by the technology at the time, and I feel like this is the one game out of those four that they probably could have done more with maybe in the future. Um, I'm trying to think of some really interesting Sega games. Like, um, is is it a, is Brave Firefighters? Is that a Sega
1: game? I don't know. Why don't you Google it right now and find out? <laughs> I'm doing it. It's... I'm doing it, too. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. That game, it kind of used motion controls where you would, like, move out of the way. and I mean, look at it. Look at that, look at that right there. It's like Space Harrier. The guy's holding the giant fire hose under his arm.
1: But you also got to tell the I... difference between time, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that I feel like Um, Had Sega revived this in the 3d era, which they did, but I don't think they did that great of a job at They could have done something interesting like this is what I'm trying to say Uh, planet Harriers I mean, we'll maybe we'll discuss that in a future show That was I think that was a little more in line with like Panzer Dragoon or Rez. It was a lot slower um, and I don't recall it moving or playing the same but, um,
1: and I'm trying to think right now, like as we're talking, um, has there been another game that took this inspiration where the character moves and th- moves with the shots? I keep on thinking that like, I-, I can't really think of much. I felt like after Star Fox sort of did this whole, like, oh, just, you know, the rail shooter where you hardly move. All mm-hmm. the other rail shooters after that were like, I guess we have to go this way because I don't, I don't know why they decided. Maybe they thought it was easier for the player.
0: No, I, I don't... I mean, you know, like we were mentioning Afterburner, I, I took a look at Xeno solder, Cider footage as we were talking, and that one's more like moving the pointer, so it's not so much filling the screen. Um, I guess I'll, I'll do the shout-out again, Strike Harbinger. I think that's <laughs> that's the only real modern game I can think of that does that sort of gameplay method.
1: Yeah. So, and if you guys haven't checked it out, you guys should Google it. We actually did a video on our YouTube channel, and it's... Pretty informative, if you guys are into Space Harrier and Space Harrier-type kind of games.
0: Yeah, it's fun, too. I was the the first person of the general public to play it, so... <laughs> um. Don't laugh
1: at people, man. they are going to turn off the I'm podcast. not. Right. Yo, come on. Talk, oh. You want to talk about the soundtrack?
0: Oh, I'd love to talk about the soundtrack. So, Space Harrier featured a now-iconic soundtrack, which was composed by Hang-On's Hiroshi Kawaguchi, or known as Hiro. He knew that people like us would you know, stumble over his name of because course. we're idiots. Um, which became Sega AM2's go-to composer for years. I love this guy. The soundtrack consisted of about 12 different songs, Space Harrier's main theme has now become one of the most well-known tracks in Sega's history due to the massive popularity of the game and uh, it's sitting in a ton of public spaces so what are your thoughts on space harrier's soundtrack
1: dude the drums on the the drums are crazy on this game dude like it has like the like some of the most like they just went all out it was like basically a rock album in the 80s and they're like oh there you go here's your soundtrack that's why I kind of like heroes stuff it's like not very I don't know it's kind of hard to describe it's not chip y it's not like you know when you listen to an NES game it's like beep 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 beep. And this is not <laughs> like that, it's like you can hear the instruments, you know? So, yeah. So, giving them that no. credit, it's a great soundtrack. Um, it's very different from something like OutRun, you know, he really tried to uh, be diverse. Uh, what is your opinion? Do you think it fit the art style of the game?
0: Yeah, I definitely think it fit the style, it was just so fun and adventurous and I, I mean, it's hard to talk about music, at least for me, I'm not a composer. So I can't I can't really get too technical with it, but you know, I good I know good video game music when I hear this, and this definitely is it. I typically get bored with games that play the same song too much, and with this one just that main Space Harrier theme from the first stage, I could listen to that the entire game. Yeah. I mean, I know he composed other songs, but when it changes, I'm like, oh man, I like the other one.
1: <laughs> I uh, want to hear more. <laughs> and we could uh, talk about your favorite tracks, and I would say a lot of people would say the main theme. I think that's a very iconic, very adventurous song. It really senses that, that uh, I don't know, it kind of tingles that brain where you're like, I'm going to go on a massive space adventure, really. <laughs>
0: It gives you the brain tingles? Yeah,
1: the brain t- yes. I think it's me having a stroke. I think that's what it is called. Your,
0: your ASMR. Uh Tekanobu Mitsuyoshi who did the music for Daytona USA. He wrote lyrics for this. Have you heard that version?
1: Yeah, I have and there's a it's actually it's actually 13 tracks because there's a obviously a vocal version as you said. But yeah, yeah, I've heard that. It's it's fantastic. I think I love that Sega always goes back and redoes their music and if you look a space harrier. It's the music has been re- redone throughout the years, a ton of times, because you know they they formed. What was it? Sega sounds uh, technical or whatever. what was it called?
0: Sega Sound Team.
1: There you go, Sega Sound Team, and yeah. uh, they were basically a rock band of developers that made music mm-hmm. for Sega, and they just rocked out on the weekends, I guess.
0: Yeah, I love the lyrics. The look in the sky, look in the sky, <laughs> shooting to shoot. And shoot. You think they uh,
1: should make remake the game in VR and 3D and uh, have that iconic soundtrack with him singing in your ear?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely! Like he's with you, he's holding you. You're you're the gun and he's the, the harrier and he's singing to you.
1: Oh, that'd be beautiful. We want to talk about the legacy of of this game and all these consoles and computers it came out on. And I think a lot of our listeners probably won't know some of these, so. By the way, I actually took out a lot of the computers because this game released on a lot of things, dude. A lot of things. And I I, I think it'd be interesting for you to name some of these platforms.
0: Yeah, okay, so let's go through them. Um, let's see. We have the Atari ST, the Commodore 64, the C16, the Spectrum ZX. This is my favorite one. The Acorn CPC. What is that? I
1: have a computer, s- I think. <laughs> I can
0: the acorn got. where's acorn bits uh the sega master system i know that one pc engine amiga ibm pc nes turbo graphics 16 game gear 32x saturn dreamcast via shenmue and also the uh yusuzuki gameworks
1: oh yeah I which was a was.
0: a book with a disc and i actually i burned that disc not too long ago on for Dreamcast, it's so good. Uh, Xbox via Shenmue 2, Game Boy Advance, PlayStation 2, and recently 3D Space Harrier on 3DS, which I did want to give a shout out to. The I I think the best way to play this game, and I'm I'm saying better than controller, better than flight stick, oh. and this is my personal opinion, is the stylus version. It's so intuitive, and for the 3D, you know how? Yeah, I love it. And like, you know how I was saying you can't play a game where you're holding something under your arm at the arcade and flying around? This is, I feel, the closest thing to it, because your hand holding the stylus is basically the Harrier holding the, the thingy, the ice cream maker.
1: There you go. I mean, I, I haven't actually tried it. I just played it on traditional controllers on my 3DS, but I might actually have to give this a try.
0: But, um, I've never played better or gotten further in the game than with this. So maybe some people might argue, oh, it's easy mode. But I'm like, it's intuitive. It works.
1: If it works, it works. And it's not you're not lowering the difficulty, so it, I don't feel like that's cheating. So I think people should but, calm down <laughs> on being well, which, so picky. Which
0: versions do you think people should play if they want the full experience?
1: Um, I would say the Collective Works was it was pretty good port. Um, the one you were talking about was... Uh, or even the, the Shim-Yu in-game. You should play that one, too, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and the 32X one was pretty good. And believe it or not, the Game Boy Advance one wasn't the worst port I've ever played. It actually kind of looks like the game. It's not the same exact thing. But it's I was actually surprised that it wasn't complete crap. Huh. So uh, which ones do you recommend?
0: I would say the ones I recommend are... I would say if you want to get a taste of the arcade experience, including the machine, check out 3D Space Harrier because it does have different modes where you can actually see the machine moving around and hear the sounds. They actually...
1: Recorded um, the arcade.
0: Yeah, yeah, M2 actually went into Sega's archives and recorded the physical machine moving around. So that's a really cool bonus just to have... Historically, oh yeah, that would also, actually
1: that would be my number one. Just, I was <laughs> naming the other ones that were in 3D uh, Space Harrier just because.
0: Oh, okay. okay sorry. Sure, yeah. <laughs> change your answer. Um, uh, Dreamcast with Shenmue, just because you can see the machine walk around, look at it. That's cool. 32X, I. It's my personal favorite just because I think it's so cool technically to play a pretty close, you know, pretty arcade perfect version of Space Harrier. On the home console with the arcade stick, things like that. I would say versions to avoid the um, Sega. What is it called? Sega Arcade Classics. It's basically the um, Sega Ages. At the PS2, PS2? One? Yeah, I didn't think that was all that good. The one with
1: its 3D and they had to remake the graphics. Yeah, did, yeah. Um, I would, I would avoid that. Even though I love M2, I don't think they did that port. I'm not sure. I have to look it up, but. Yeah, it's not that great.
0: <laughs> um, I would say three D space hair or space three D on the master system is, it's not a good representation of the game, but I think it's a very fun kind of, you know, it's fun to check out if you have the three D glasses. Um, That's three D and then space I would say,
1: Harrier.
0: and I'm I'm just paging through right now the Hardcore Gaming 101 uh, Sega Arcade Classics book, which you can find on Amazon, and I'm looking at the screenshots of those many versions we listed. The Sharp MZ version looks like garbage.
1: Yeah, the, a lot of these look like really bad, and I don't think they were. None of these were actually like all these like small consoles. They were licensed yeah. out, you know.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, did not you say there's an NES version?
1: Yeah, there's an NES version. <laughs> Believe yeah, it. I
0: heard that one's pretty bad. But yeah, the, the Sharp one, uh, the character himself, he's made up of 13 pixels mm. and three colors. You know what I mean? It does not look like a person.
1: Just looks like blob. It looks.
0: It looks like, it, I guess if you want to see what Lego, like uh, what's that White Stripes video where they're um, animating with Legos? It's uh, It looks like that.
1: Something something girl or something. I forgot the yeah, name, yeah. but I know what you're talking about.
0: Fell in love with a girl, yeah. yeah. Um. But anyway, so yeah, those, those are our recommendations. But I mean, the thing is, if you love the game, play the Arcade Perfect one. Then check out as many versions as you can because it's just, it's really interesting. I think Space Harrier is the perfect lesson in ports, because if you, I, I mean, hell, if I was teaching a college class, I would I could teach an entire semester on just arcade and home console versions of Space Harrier and see how they adapted it, how they changed it. If you're into game design, I think it's fascinating just to see how they screwed it up, how they perfected it, how they did it well.
1: And talking about the game's legacy, um, they released Space Harrier 2, which we might do an episode on. I don't know if it's worth it. Not anytime soon, but... And they also did Planet Harrier. Is there another game that they did that I forgot or haven't mentioned?
0: There was. um, I'm trying to remember the name. It was never released, but it was... um, It was a Fantasy Zone game using Space Harrier gameplay.
1: And it was something that those two universes combined, right?
0: That's right, yeah. And I'm trying to remember the name of it... Uh, it's not galactic protector I'm sure so some- oh it's space fantasy zone
1: space fantasy zone it's just like like the, the most epic crossover that nobody really thought of I guess or asked for um, it's it's interesting though because like fantasy zone and this game there's a lot of like similarities and even though the intro says welcome to the fantasy zone and um, yeah what is your thoughts on this whole thing, and do you think Sega should maybe bring back this whole psychedelic thing, or is it just one of those things that it was from the 80s, it's dead in the <laughs> 80s, it should be stuck in the 80s, and we sh- they should move on?
0: Well, you know my answer. I love this stuff. Of course I'd love to see it come back. Uh, I love the shared universe idea. I know Sega had attempted to do that, or at least they talked about it. There was that whole idea of reviving the many classic arcade games and having them all in a shared like marvel cinematic universe kind of thing um
1: what was that what was that called uh i think i wanted to say it's called sega legends or something like that it was a sega of australia they were mm. pitching an idea to reap uh, like kind of remake all this classic games and they were going to start with golden x and they wanted to like have easter eggs that the golden axe world is the same world of Space Harrier and Fantasy Zone and Streets right. of Rage, just in different time periods. Sega shut, sh- you know, sh- didn't approve of the idea. The team is now dead, <laughs> and they did. Well, a they're, Castle they're alive. Of, well, they did Castle <laughs> of Illusions.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but I mean, they didn't physically kill them.
1: No, no, no the people are alive. They just uh, <laughs> destroyed. I mean, they shut down the team. Sorry, probably "kill" right, is right, the I wrong word. I don't want people to start <laughs> having conspiracy theories.
0: Right, right, um, okay, well is there, is there anything else we have to say about the game? I mean, um...
1: We could talk about the media that released in 1985, that's always a nice closer. 1985? 1985, yeah.
0: You know what that makes me think of? What? Back to the Future.
1: Exactly, that's actually one of the movies we're gonna be talking about. I don't know if you ever heard of Back to the Future, but it's a small indie film. (laughs) that was had a mild success in the 80s so I'll, i'll talk about the movies from 1985 which the first one is back to the future the goonies the breakfast club rambo first blood part two the return of the living dead and the black cauldron so these are all great movies i've seen them all um what is your favorite movie and i know it's back to the future so go ahead
0: I'm gonna have to go with the Black Cauldron. No, I'm just kidding. Back to the Future for sure. Uh, I love that movie. It's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah, uh, but I'd say runner up here would probably be. I don't know if I've seen Return of the Living Dead. Breakfast Club's good. That's like a classic.
1: Uh, the Return um, of the Living Dead is worth watching. It's not really ho- it's horror, but it's more of like doesn't take itself too seriously. Kind of horror. You know.
0: Well, here's a question for you. Out of all of these movies, which two, at least to my knowledge, did not have video game adaptations?
1: Hmm, let me see. The Breakfast Club and uh, yeah. The Night of the Living Dead.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or oh, The Return yeah. of the
1: Living Dead, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Black Cauldron had a IBM game from what I remember, Rambo was on Master System. The Goonies, they actually made, I think, an NES one called The Goonies 2, which was kind of weird. <laughs> a sequel like, to
1: the movie? I
0: guess. And then, of course, Back to the Future had tons of games.
1: Uh, and I remember I actually listed it in our games of 1985. They came out the same year. Um, I have pretty good memories with the game, but uh, it was not that good of a game. Um, and now... Uh, Con? When,
0: when was the video game crash? What year was that? I think 1983. Okay, so why, why were they making so many movie games? I feel like they should have learned their lesson with E.T.
1: You know what? I think it's something like publishers really love the money kind of a thing and it's funny because like i was burnt on a lot of games growing up like they were movie games because you know when you're a kid these kind of like tie-in properties you watch the movie you're like oh this movie's amazing back to the future time travel so amazing i gotta get i gotta go play the game right Mm -hmm. and so when you go to the the movies or whatever you go and you rent it and you're like this is crap and that's actually yeah. one of my uh, one of the first games I ever rented was Back to the Future on the NES. So, oh
0: my God, the first one of the first not the first game I rented, but the first disappointment that I rented was Back to the Future Three on the Genesis. You know when you you go out Friday night, you rent the game, you're like, I'm gonna have this until Monday morning.
1: Hell yeah. I I
0: went home. I could not beat the first level. I stopped playing it after five minutes, and that was my weekend.
1: Isn't that the worst though? When you um, uh, you you trust the publisher. Because they have yeah. a cool image on the cover, taking home, dog, like, dog shit. It's like, I wish they would have, like, a refund, like, like, like in a rental place, alright, this game's dog shit, alright, trade it in, because, you know what I mean? It's not like yeah, that. Yeah, but, like,
0: why would a kid, th- like, Back to the Future 3, why would a kid be like, oh, when I get home, I really hope it's Doc Brown on a horse <laughs> in some of the most, like, frustrating like, QTE-style video game play I've ever experienced. It's like an endless runner, but, like, at the very end before you lose at the very beginning of the game. No idea. (sighs) Well, let's talk about the video games that were popular during this time. In
1: 1985, it was a big year for video games. Uh, We got the the Super Mario Brothers. I don't know. It's like a small indie uh, game. I don't know if it ever took off, but...
0: No, it wasn't as good as the original Mario Brothers, I know that.
1: It's just, it wasn't even on the Super Nintendo, it was on the NES, and they called it Super anyway. What's up with that? Gauntlet, <laughs> uh, Ghosts and Goblins, uh, Gradius, uh, The Bard's Tale, Ice Climber, Back to the Future, which I put on here because uh, I wanted to tell that story about be it my first rental game, but now we said it. Gunsmoke, and Hang On. And the reason I put Gunsmoke is because... It's one of the best NES games. I swear, it's great. I didn't even know it was a, a licensed game. I,
0: Wait, gun, tell me about this. Gunsmoke, that's a TV show. There
1: was a show called Gunsmoke. So, okay, so Capcom, it's not even based on the, on the TV show. So Capcom made this arcade game, right? And they called it Gunsmoke. Obviously trying to uh, appeal to people that watch the TV show, maybe. But mm-hmm. they had to put it gun.smoke because of the copyright claims. Oh. So it's not even like that. There's like a level where you have to kill ninjas. It's like, what? Is it? well, okay. So it's... it's. I liked it in the NES because it was... A, it's so, so you, it's a top-down shooter in the NES. It's so in the arcades. And you use uh, A to shoot to the left, uh, B to shoot to the right, and then you press both of them at the same time, you shoot straight. So it's one of those shooter games, I guess. And it's one of the first shooter games I played growing up.
0: That looks cool. I like... um. It kind of reminded me of Heavy Barrel, but now that you're describing the gameplay, it's more like a like a spaceship shooter. But you're actually a cowboy walking around.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those uh, early cowboy games. I think every generation has one of those. It's like Red Dead Red, uh, Redemption or um, what's that one that was in the gen- Sunset Riders. Sunset Riders. Yeah, like they have to have a cowboy game, right? It's like and
0: it's it's funny too. They they have the uh, the cover art. Looks like the cover art for Mega Man, because it's around that same era.
1: Yeah, when they were trying to make everything different from the video game. I don't know why. It's like they wanted to make it more realistic. Yeah. Yeah, so any of these other games that on here on this list, I put Hang On 2, which is another AM2 game. So, any of these games that you remember growing up?
0: I remember Super Mario Brothers, obviously. I know we we make goofs about it, but no, that was a... F- Yeah, it's a classic. It was a great game. I never owned an NES as a kid, but every friend I had who owned one had Super Mario Brothers who'd play the hell out of it. Hang on, of course, classic, but like I was mentioning, it was hard to find those games as a kid unless you had a really great arcade.
1: I also feel like Ice Climber wasn't really popular when I was growing up. I felt like that's something that got popular because of the Super Smash Bros. series.
0: Oh, I agree, for sure.
1: Because now everybody's talking about, oh, why is the Ice Climber in this game? And I'm like, who? The what? The huh? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's very interesting. But yeah, 1985 was a huge year for video games. These are the games that came out and they were popular. I feel like, how do you feel that uh, Space Harrier ranks in the history of these? Do you think that maybe it's below Super Mario Brothers and like his, you know, the grand scheme of things? Or do you think Space Harrier is a notch above it?
0: I'm going to say that it was just as influential as Super Mario Bros., just for in a different... um, Genre. I mean, obviously in a different genre and in a different setting in arcades. I mean, I feel like really Space Harrier was to Super Mario Bros., you know, in terms of, I don't know, just how important it was in arcades. And I know in Nintendo fans, they don't want to admit it, but, you know, Sega was the king of arcades. Nintendo really wasn't. (laughs) They had Donkey Kong.
1: Can you name another one after that, though?
0: Another what? Another
1: uh, Nintendo arcade hit.
0: Mario Brothers.
1: That's like, that's what I'm saying. Uh, They kind of left the arcade market, they pulled out, and they went straight to consoles. I think once they did consoles and the Game Boy... They just stuck right there. They didn't want to go back and make arcade games. And Sega kept on pushing the arcade uh, barriers for years to come. Oh, for sure. That's why I think they made such fantastic, fast-paced games like Space Area, and that's why we love them. So, want to talk about some of the tweets we got? Well, actually,
0: before we do that, uh, we have a few special guests joining us via typed-out text. Um, We have the developers of Strike Harbinger, Chris Tang and Kiyoshi Okuma. I reached out to them before we recorded and just asked for some of their thoughts on the game because they're working on a game that's inspired by it. And, um, you know, if you love Space Harrier, you definitely should check this out. So I was just going to read their thoughts on the game. So Chris Tang, who previously worked on Primal Rage, Gauntlet uh, 4, Street Fighter 3 Series, Rival Schools, TechRomancer, which he actually, he named, and I did an interview with him. and He has a funny story about that. Uh, and then, of course, Strike Harbinger. He's also a Sega World Champion and a Tetris World Championships announcer. And he's done many other things. Here's his thoughts on the game. He said, I first saw the arcade game soon after it was released at theme parks like Disneyland and Great America. I was blown away by the speed and extremely detailed and colorful graphics. I was overwhelmingly obvious that it was the most advanced video game in existence upon release and for years thereafter. Space Harrier's otherworldly landscapes and bizarre cast of enemies sparked my imagination as its fast-paced gameplay ignited my gaming soul. Nothing compares to the feeling of weaving through an impossible onslaught of enemy shots, barely escaping death between the poles, and blowing up every enemy on the stage, surviving to kick ass and kicking ass to survive. And that super deluxe moving arcade cabinet was the stuff of gaming dreams were made of, and still are. And he he shared a lot of thoughts about it, Uh, as well, I was just going to pick out a few, He mentioned that every time Yu Suzuki showed up in his neck of the woods out in, I believe, California, he would get some of his Space Harrier stuff autographed. And so he has the Saturn game, the PC Engine game, and his special Saturn mission stick sign. I mean, how many Yu Suzuki signatures do you have, George?
1: Uh, none. So, I'm jealous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, He also mentioned that uh, it was the reason he bought a Sega Master System. He said he... um, Quickly became a Sega evangelist and ended up mentioning the platform when he was interviewed for winning Nintendo tournaments. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, some years later, he became the Sega World Champion in '94, and he basically he told us that he received like every game that was coming out at the time from Sega, and so he got uh, twenty-five thousand dollars in cash, fancy Star uh, Four, and then Space Harrier for the thirty. So that's that's really cool, and um, he just wanted he mentioned here too. He's working on Strike Harbinger, and while it's an own it's its own thing, inspired from all his experiences in gaming. One thing he'd love for it to become and uh, accepted as is a spiritual successor to Space Harrier, and for it to give the next generation of gamers as well as his peers a kind of unparalleled ass kicking exhilaration that I felt when playing the best games of that genre. So he says, please look forward to it. And then finally, we have Kiyoshi Okuma, who is a real-time 3D graphics artist and VFX artist. He's worked on Gauntlet Legacy for the N64, World Series Baseball for the Dreamcast and PS2, Sims 2 for the PS2 and PC, Dark Spore, Dawn Gate, and Strike Harbinger. He says he was blown away by the speed and color of the game when he first saw it, and the premium pod that moved around was really astonishing at the time. he saw this at Disneyland Starcade. I've never heard of that. That sounds cool, though. Which, in the area of Space Harrier, was a massive two-story arcade of wonders and glory. His experience with the game was very light for quite a while. He always enjoyed Sega's 3D rail shooters because of their fast action and eye-popping visuals, and few other arcade games could touch that. And he also mentions that he liked that it was uh, visually testing his skills and keeping him on the edge of his seat. And he also liked the otherworldly, surreal style, like Chris mentioned, and how it related to the other Sega sci-fi games. So in short, blistering speed, great graphics, and amazing soundtrack that stands the test of time. So yeah, it's one of the all-time greats. <laughs> yeah, I agree so with that. So there you go. So let's let's dive into Twitter, George. Do you wanna do you wanna play us out with some of these
1: tweets? Oh, I don't want to talk about Twitter. I hate Twitter. All right. Um, Flair Habanero. Oh. Fuck, I already screwed up. Uh, it said, uh, Space Harrier, Space Harrier felt ahead of its time with pseudo 3D effects from a clever use of sprite scaling. Uh, polka dot uh. vagina, vagina, straight out of vapor. Uh, right. s- stuff we play. Space Harrier is fun and its purest form and I was sucked in the first time I played it. Muted Cyborg. Revolutionary, psychedelic, and one of the first metagames to be within a game via the Game Center in Shimyu. I agree. Uh, we got uh, Gabe Morales VR at Twitter. S- send us a picture of him as a kid with Space Harrier on the, what is that, Master System?
0: Yeah, the 3D one.
1: Yeah, 3D, or what is it called, Space Harrier 3D? Yeah. Not 3D Space Harrier on the 3DS, sorry. Uh, you have to be confused. Because of this, me, in front, Christmas, 1988. Had to go to Toys R Us following the day to get 3D glasses because parents didn't know required. Didn't you, know, didn't you hate when this happened when you were a kid?
0: Oh my god, that happened with me with the Dreamcast and the VMU. I was like, wait, you need a VMU to save games? There's no internal?
1: I had one with, like, uh, the phaser or whatever. You know when <laughs> you sold those games that you needed it? I love Sega because they make awesome arcade cabinets. That I play as a kid and still play today. Sarah A uh, B eighty seven. Jess in addresses. Uh, it's really addicting arcade game and it was has a fantastic thirty two x port that I still play today. The three D S port is also great. We agree. Uh, <laughs> Lyle Fantasy on uh, Twitter says aesthetic. Oh. Beautiful aesthetics. Yeah. Uh, I G O Tristian. Says, uh, I first played Space Harrier at SUGC on PS3. Uh, It was fun to play. It tests your reflexes. Uh, True, (laughs) real retro kid. The true. What does he say? Space Harrier. That's it. Thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you in our next show.
0: See ya.